Masechet Sotah, Daf Lamed Dalid. We began uh, this perek uh, with uh, languages, and Sotah uh, can be said in any language. We brought other things that can be said in any language, and then we brought some items that have to be said in Hebrew, including the Barachot and Kelalot that are uh, recited on Had Gedizim and Had Aival. And then we were talking about where are they located, uh, where exactly on the other side of the Jordan. Since we talked about crossing the Jordan, we're now going to go into a tangent about the splitting of the Jordan River. What was the process of B'nai Israel crossing over the Jordan? Usually when they were going in the desert, the Aron would go um, in behind two of the Shevatim, Yehuda and Reuven would go in front, and then the Aron would go after them. However, on this day, the Aron had to go in front. As the Pasuk says in Yeshua, the Adon, the, that the Aron is going to go in front. Uh, that's because the Aron first went into the water, and as soon as the Kohanim put their feet in the water, that's when the water, then that's when the river became dry. Usually, the Leviim, they were tasked with carrying the Aron, but on this day that they were crossing over the Jordan, the Kohanim uh, um, uh, were carrying it. As the Pasuk in Yoshua says, when they put the, their feet in the water, that's when it became dry. Tanya, Rabbi Yoseomer, Bishlosha Mekomot Nasu Kohanim et Ha'aron. Now they were mentioned one time where Rabbi Yosem says that there's actually three times historically when the Kohanim were the ones carrying the Aron. Usually it's the Leviim. Keshavru Tayaden, one is when they crossed the Jordan River, as we just said. When they encircled Yericho and marched around it, the Kohanim carried the Aron. And when King Shalomo built the Bet and put the Aron into the Kodesh Kodashim, it was the Kohanim who were carrying it. And so when the Kohanim put their feet in the water, the Jordan River turned backwards. Um, uh, the one the, the water that was coming that, that was coming from above became like a big wall. This is different from one of the descriptions of Kiriat Yamsuf, where the where it was uh, where the um, water st- was miminam um, uh, olam, right was like a wall on the right and left. Uh, that's different from the Jordan River, where it was all stopped on one side, the rest of the water on the other side just kept flowing. So that's how you got the dry land. And so, where did the water go when it stood, when it stopped? Um, so then it would start piling up, piling up, and start just going up higher and higher. Uh, we kind of imagine the water, instead of flowing down, it would uh, just make a 90 degree angle up and uh, flow up towards the sky. And so, how high did it go up? Uh, so this here it says 12 mil by 12 mil, which is the footprint of the encampment of Israel. So according to the Buda, the encampment uh, followed its, its the, the way that they encamped, right, which is um, uh, the Aron in the middle and the three Shevatim on each side. And that would be a width and length of 12 by 12 mil. 
so that they had to pa they could pass through um, in that way. Uh, now, uh, actually, this is curious because um, really you just need 12 meal in terms of the width of the passing over uh, uh, of the uh, uh, across the Jordan. Um, the but the riverbed is just as as wide as the riverbed is. It's not 12 meal, so it doesn't really make sense to say 12 by 12. And in fact, if you look at the manuscripts here, you'll see that while the printed editions and a Ebenezer fragment does say 12 by 12, but two manuscripts just say that how, how, how wide was the water? 12 mil. Uh, so in other words, um, the space that left them to go to walk through was 12 mil so that they could all walk through. But the riverbed itself was, you know, was small. However, however, whatever the width of the um, river was, um, is the same, is, is much smaller. Uh, a mile is a Roman mile, which is less than a modern mile. Okay, so the point is here that it would go up um, 12 mil. So while it's going uh, up, that's when the 12 mil of the length of the encampment would be able to pass through as it's going up, assuming that it's um, the same speed. However, disagrees with and says, right, according to you, which one goes faster, uh, a person walking or water and especially it's not just people walking it's whole encampment with uh with with children and baby carriages and so it will take them a while and the water is going to flow faster so the water is going up and by the time it reaches 12 mil up high then it's going to start crashing down but the people are going slower than the water is traveling and therefore it will come come and drown them so therefore that doesn't make sense that it should be that uh, that it's only 12, it only went up to the sky 12 mil. Rather, a second opinion is that it kept going up and piling up upon each other, arches upon arches, uh, more than 300 mil. And it was so big, so this was not only to give enough time for everybody to walk through. We're going to see later on that in this opinion, they might have walked through single file but not only for that reason to make, give them more time but also to make this giant uh monument uh pillar of water so that all of the kings everywhere from east to west would be able to see it says that um, uh, all the kings of the Emori um, from the Jordan westward and the kings that were by the sea heard that Hashem dried up the waters of the river until they passed over and the hearts of the kings melted um, and they had no spirit because uh, and they were fearful, fearful of B'nai Israel. Um, so uh, Pasuk says that they heard about it, um, but just hearing a news report about it is not as, as effective as actually seeing it. Right? Can you imagine if they're far away and they're seeing this thing? That would make them very scared and not want to put up a fight to B'nai Israel. And now just we bring a parallel that Rachav, the Hazona, she um, she told the messengers from Yeshua that she heard about 
the time, this is earlier, 40 years before, when Hashem uh, made the Yamsuf dry. So this is back when the, from, of Kiryat Yamsuf. Uh, so it's not directly related to um, Yehoshua. This uh, Rachav heard about this before, you know, you know, before the, the Jordan River was split. But the point is that it's, it's associated. The splitting of the Yamsuf in the first generation is parallel to the splitting of the Jordan in the second generation. Second generation had to re-experience um, this, a miracle like this. It's not just a miracle of getting to the other side. It's also a berit ceremony of passing through two halves. Um, but the point is that Rachav was so uh, impressed and even, so, even 40 years later remembered uh, the how the sea was split and how everybody was terrified because of that. And so that's why for the second generation also had the same effect on the kings who saw this big pile. While they were in the Jordan, Yahshua said, let's pause for a moment, you know, like a tour guide, right? Everybody stop here. I have to tell you an important message. Listen, I want you to know, I want you to know why you are crossing over the Jordan. It's it's in order that you should um, uh, inherit this land um, uh, and kick out the enemies. Um, As the Pasuk says, drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. If you do so, then that's good. Right then, you deserve to have the land. But if not, then this water here that's standing in a pile, ready to fall upon you, should come on you, should come upon you and drown you. In other words, you're entering on condition. You have a mission here to build a nation, and so you have to have courage and do it. Otherwise, right, this is kind of being in the middle, right, right in the middle there, um, in a very precarious position. Um, that's when he's saying, yeah, this is all unconditioned. And so if you don't, um, it will come and drown. An unusual word that's said in, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, uh, statement. It's not actually, not actually quoting a pasuk. It's just a, uh, a, a new word. So what is this, uh, this neologism? What is otichem? It's going to drown. The water will drown me and you. Yoshua is the leader. He's, he's encouraging them. He says, if you don't do your job and fight, then you and me, we all will get drowned t- together. And so that's why he stops in the middle of the Jordan. So we have to account for this time also, um, that you have everybody there in the middle, and uh, Yoshua giving this speech. And furthermore, while they're in there, Yoshua says, um, we need uh, every person, according to the tribes of Israel, 12 people, to pick up uh, some of the stones from the middle, and they're going to carry them out um, and put them in where they're going to wear it in their in the dwelling place in the Malon to be an everlasting memory. That hey, where is the stone from? It's from the bottom of the bottom of the river. Had they get it from the bottom of the river? Oh, when the river was dried up. As the pasuk itself says, uh, this will be a sign when the children ask, "What are these stones?" and you'll say that these are the stones that came from. From the, uh, from the bottom of the, from the riverbed, 
um, and that will be a, an everlasting sign of the, this miracle that their ancestors crossed the river. Right, further elaboration um, that while they're still in the Jordan, Yoshua said, take from here, from exactly where the Kohanim are standing, 12 stones, and carry them with you and put them in the Malon, in the lodging place where you will be tonight. Now you might think they have to carry it every time they go from place to place. Um, every time they go to the new, a new campsite, to a new lodging place, they still have to carry these heavy stones everywhere. No, only tonight. They're going to bring, bring it to the first stop where they're first going to sleep and then they leave it there. Right? That's, uh, it'll stay there forever. Following these sages, they went and they stood on those very stones. They went to visit them. And they measured them. And their measurement was each one weighed 40 se'ah. This is unusual because 40 se'ah is a volume measure. So what does it mean to weigh 40 se'ah? Maybe it means they weighed the amount of that, of 40 se'ah of water, a bathtub full of water. Um, how much would that weigh? Each of the stones weighed that much. Um, now, that's interesting because um, there is another tradition that a person can lift onto his shoulders a third of what he can carry if someone loads him up, right? It's hard to pick something up, right? So if, let's say you could, uh, you know, you could pick up a... Uh, uh, a uh, hundred pounds, right, and 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 lift it up. But if some, if other people help and put it on your shoulder, you'd be able to carry uh, three hundred pounds. Uh, so why is that interesting? From this, we can uh, extrapolate the size of the cluster of grapes that the spies carried, because it says there that they carried it um, uh, on a pole between two. Now, if you're carrying something on a pole, right, that means automatically you're going to have one person on one side of the pole and one carrying the other from the other side of the pole. It wouldn't make any sense to have only one person on a pole. So why does it have to say bishnayim? You could just say vayisu bamot, and I would know that there's two people carrying it. So so what's the, what does two uh, come to include? That there's two uh, that there are two poles, right? Bamot bishnayim, two poles. So that means that there were four people all together carrying it. Now, when you carry something on a pole, you don't have to account for lifting it up on top of your shoulder. Um, it, it, it's easy to carry. So this would be the amount that a person can carry, not the amount of a person that, that not the amount that a person can pick up. Um, and so, therefore, um, if a person can uh, pick up. Uh, 40 se'ah, right? So, because over here they had to actually lift it, uh, the, the stones. Um, and uh, so, and we, they, these rabbis said they weighed the stones that were found in the Malon and they were 40 se'ah each. So, that means a person can pick up 40 se'ah. Now, we said a person can carry three times that. So, that means any one individual can carry 120 se'ah.
If you have four people carrying it, that's four times 120, that's 480 se'ah. So the final conclusion is that one cluster of grapes was as heavy as 480 se'ah. That is uh, a lot of very, very big grapes. Amar Abi Yisrach, Tur Tane, Betur Tane, De Tur Tane. Hakesat Shimona Nasu Eshkol, Echad Nasarimon, Bechad Nasatena, Yeshu Bechalev Don Nasu Kelum, Ibetema Mishim Dachashibe, Ibet Emma, Shelo Hayu, Beota Isa. If that cluster of graves wasn't big enough, the Beatslak says, actually, it was even bigger. It was um, a, uh, a scale upon scales upon scales. How so? In other words, it was actually not four people, but eight people that carried that one cluster of grapes. Um, and they had, see, these two rods here and two rods here. And across those rods, they put another one. That's one way of making it or a couple of other configurations. But the, uh, the point of all of them is that they required eight people to carry it so that this cluster of grapes was actually double uh, what the previous opinion said. So this is eight, that would account for eight of the spies. Uh, what about the other spies? Well, one of them carried the uh, pomegranate and one carried a cluster of, uh, a, a, one carried a fig. That's how big a fig was. One person carried a whole one, but the grapes, a cluster of grapes was much bigger than the rest of them. So that accounts for 10 of the spies. And then Yoshua and Kalev, they did not carry anything. Why didn't they carry anything? Either because they were very prominent, and so it was not respectful for them to have to carry anything, or because they did not want to associate themselves with the evil uh, ten spies. Uh, you can explain that the ten spies, you know, why are they bringing these, these beautiful big grapes? Is it to impress the people? Look how wonderful the fruit is. Well, if that was the case, then they would be encouraging, so let's go, you know, we can... Uh, uh, we can go and conquer it. Um, it seems that their intention was actually the opposite. They bring these giant grapes to prove, look how, imagine how big the people are in there. There are giants in there and these giants are very mighty and we have no chance. We were not going to be able to, uh, to, to conquer them. And so really they had negative intention in carrying all of these big fruit. And Yeshua and Kalev wanted no part of that. They didn't want to bring and show off this big fruit. They, their, their point was, it's a good land. Don't worry about it. Hashem is with us. We can conquer it. Have faith. Have courage. And th that's why they did not carry any of the fruit. So going back to how much did the did the sea split? Um, did the river uh, um, pile up? Was it twelve mil or was it a lot more? So there's two two interpretations of it. One of the interpretations is that according to the Biuda they passed according to the regular formation uh, with you know, uh, uh, three Shevatim in uh, uh, each all around the Adon, and that's 12 by 12. And so that's why the, um, the river had to pile up 12 mil to allow space for them to go in between. And that's the Buddha's opinion. Whereas according to be Elazabed to be Shimon, he's the one that, is, that said it piled up and piled up more than 300 mil, and that's because they were crossing single file. So that would take much longer, and that's why it had to pile up much more.
However, the other interpretation of these two Tanaims is Vechadamar ben mor ben mor kechayetan avru mor sabar adam kal or mor sabar maim kalim. In this interpretation, they both agree that they didn't go single file. They and they traveled according to the normal formation of the camp. However, one opinion says that people are faster than water, that's the Biuda, and so it's enough that the while that's piling up for 12 meal, um, they are going faster than the water is, and so they have time to stop in the middle. Yeshua would give them a, a talk, they would collect the stones, and they would continue walking, and they could, the, from the first person to the last person, they can all get through while the water is still traveling. Whereas the other opinion, Shimon says that water travels faster. And and therefore, it was required for the water to go higher and higher in order to give uh, uh, time for all of Bnei Israel to pass through. Now that um, now that we mentioned uh, Yoshua and going into the land, and um, uh, so we're going to go on a tangent of uh, back to the spies that Moshe sent. Um, when he went into the land, Yoshua also sent spies. Uh, so we're going to elaborate. On those pesukim, shelach lecha anashim. Amarish laki shelach lecha midatcha. Vechi adam ze borel chelak ra leatsmo. Vehenu dichti vayita beanai hadavad. Amarish laki beanai velo beanav shel makom. Okay, this is famous uh, Rashi also on shelach lecha anashim. Why this extra word lecha in peshat? It's just part of the verb, right? You send. Um, but in the midrash, it's an extra word. Rashi said shelach Hashem said send according to your own discretion. If you want to send, because you want to, so fine. Uh, because otherwise, would a person uh, choose something that was bad for himself? Meaning, would Hashem tell them to do something that's going to turn out negative? Would Hashem command them to send spies when that's going to backfire? Hashem will not do that. He knows that this is not a good idea. Uh, rather, it's the people that wanted it. And, um, and then Hashem answered, Moshe answered in the name of God, Fine, if you want to send, you could send. And that's why it says, and the parallel, that's, that, that was in Shelach Lecha, is in Bemidbar, in Parashat Shelach Lecha, whereas in Devarim, it says, Moshe said, you guys asked for spies, and I said, fine, you can, you can do it. And so Resh Akish um, infers, he sees his Be'anai, um, in the eyes of Moshe, Moshe said, okay, fine, it's, uh, it's okay with me. But only in Moshe's eyes, Hashem was not pleased with it. He did not want them to send spies. So by putting these two, first of all, that we can reconcile the two Pesukim. That's not that Hashem said, I want you to send spies. It's the people that wanted spies. Moshe okayed it, but Hashem never wanted it because he knew that this would turn out badly. The purpose of the spies is that they should search out the land for us. That's why the people asked. And so Rabbi Chia says their intention was never to search out the land for military purposes or to see how good it is, but rather they wanted to shame the land. As it says, um, another pasuk, so saying is not about digging 
hacking or searching or spying, but rather come from comes from the same root as to embarrass, um, as it, as is used in Yeshaya. So he said, let's send out spies so that we can shame, bring shame, and speak badly about the land, which is, by the way, a halacha. One should not say lashon hara, not just about people, but also about the land of Israel. So it says these are the names of the uh, spies, and so uh, from from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua ben Zakur, and so on. Bishak says we have a tradition that the Medaglim. This is uh, this, this these their, their names were actually their code names. Um, it's about the, the each of them as a reference to their actions. It's not their real names that they're. Uh, parents called them, but rather these were these are symbolic names. Um, now, but even though we have a tradition that these, these each of the names are figurative, uh, we only have we only remember a tradition about one of them, and that's about Setur ben Michael. Uh, why is he called that? Setur is because Satar he went against the uh, actions of Hashem. He ignored the actions of Hashem, um, and in in being a bad spy and saying is we can't do this, and he's called ben Michael. Which sounds like a nice name, but actually is Shasatz Mach. He made him himself appear weak. When he says he made himself appear weak, you could take it literally. He said, Oh, who are we? We're going to be like grasshoppers. But actually, he's referring to God. He made, we don't want to say it, that he made God appear weak, right? But that's what it means. He said, Oh, God is not, not God can't do it. Right, there's not, uh, there's no food in the land. God can't help us. He's not gonna help. He's not gonna be able to conquer those giants inside. And so he went against the counsel of God and made God look weak. Um, so that's the Setur Michael. Amar Af Anu Nachbi Ben Vofsi. says, even though we forgot the tradition of all of the names, but we can figure out some of them. Uh, so Nachbi, Nachbi Shechbi Devarav Shel Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Nachbi comes from the word to conceal. Um, so that he concealed the words of God um, and, and that he delivered, he didn't, didn't deliver the correct message, even though it was, it was a good idea to go into the land, he held that back and only talked about the bad. To stamp, like Pisea, on the attributes of God, he did not um, say that God is powerful and, and can do everything. Instead, he said, no, God can't do it. He's going. He's not going to help us. And so that's the hint of Vofsi. Um, okay. In fact, um, Rabbi Shama points out in his commentary, uh, recalling the covenant on these words, that you you can take all these words as symbolic, uh, and they all refer to some amount, something that would be good for a spy to do, and they're kind of positive. Uh, in other words, point that Moshe picked good people, people that were are talented. To be spies, like Shamua means he could hear very well. Zakur, he remembers everything. You want a spy that he can, you know, uh, um, seek out, hear everything, remember everything. Setur, Setir, he can keep a secret, right? Um, uh, and Nachbi, he can hide uh, well. So actually, um, uh, uh, actually, all of these we can you can go look there in the commentary um, where you can see that uh, uh, all the name, almost all the names are in fact. Um, hints to uh, to qualities that you would want a 
spying to have. Even Kaleb is like Kaleb, Ben Yefune. Kaleb, by his smell, always knows which way to go. Yefune, to turn right, to turn left. Um, so these, these were positive uh, things, that, and they were supposed to be good spies. Moshe picked talented people, but it was their, 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 their egos, their lack of faith, that made 10 of them uh, come back and give a negative report. But it's still interesting that the, uh, the Gemara here says that there is a tradition that these are symbolic names, and that's true for many of the names in Tanakh. So it says regarding the spies that they went up to, into the south and he came to Hebron. What do you mean? It should have said in plural that they came to Hebron. Why only he came to Hebron? teaches that Caleb left all the rest of the Meraglim and he came and prayed uh, at the at the uh, grave of the Avot in Hebron. At Ma'arat HaMachpela. And what did he pray? Amar lehen avotai, Bakishu alay rachamim she'en nasel me'asat meragelim. He said, my forefathers, please pray for me that I will be saved from the counsel of the rest of the spies. In other words, Kalev himself, he felt that yeser hara of being afraid and not having faith like everybody else. But he knew that this was wrong and so he needed, he needed spiritual strength. So he went to pray to the avot. Um, this is uh, one example of someone praying at Kivre uh, Metim, Kivre Sadikim. But notice he does not pray to the the um, the Avot, right? Because that would be prohibited. That would be idolatrous. Doresh Elam Metim. If one asks the Avot, to, he says, if you ask, uh, you know, a, a deceased person or any other force to help you out besides Hashem, that would be idolatrous. He's, so he's not doing that here. He's saying he's asking the uh, forefathers to help intercede to Hashem on his behalf. So that's an important distinction um, between an, a proper and improper way of um, of uh, of praying at a site of a grave. Okay, so Kalev, uh, that's why it says it in the plural, in the singular, only he went to Hebron. Now, how about Yoshua? Yoshua Yoshua did not have to go to Hebron to pray for himself because Moshe already prayed for him. And that's when Moshe called, changed his name from Hoshea to Yehoshua. So in that name is that Hashem will save him. Save him from what? Save him from the counsel of the other spies, from that peer pressure of the other, other spies. So Yoshua already had the strength to know the right thing to do. And that's also supported by another pasuk that says, um, my servant Caleb, he had a different spirit with him, different from Yoshua. Yoshua had the courage right from the outset because Moshe prayed for him. Caleb, however, was wavering and he could have, he had the Yesara and he could have almost gone with the counsel of the 10 spies and that's why he had to go to Hebron to save himself and get spiritual energy uh, so that he could do the right thing. Now the uh, the giants that were in the land, these are their names. Their names also are uh, are uh, have have symbolic meaning. Achiman meyuman shebeehav. Achiman means that he was the most skilled or stood out among his brothers. He was the leader. Sheshai shemesim etaris kish. 
Chatot. Sheshai is because he would turn the land into ditches. Shechatot, because he had such large feet, Bigfoot. Right? So every time he took a step, he would make a ditch in the ground. He would turn the land furrows and furrows. Because of his weight, as he walks, he makes a deep furrow into the land. Sheshai bana alush, tamai bana talbush, or another expression of the names, Achiman, he built the city of Anat, Sheshai built the city of Alush, tamai built the city of Talbush. That proves that these were very important people. Why are they called the children of Anak? They're very large, they're very tall. That it appears like Anak, Manikim. They were like they're wearing the sun as a necklace. They're so tall that they they appear, I guess if you're short, uh, taller than the sun, and the sun is below them like they're like the sun is a necklace upon them. All right, and uh, we end the daf with a praise of the land of Eretz Yisrael that is more beautiful and fruitful even than the land of Egypt. Hebron, it says, was built seven years before Soan of Egypt. Um, the point is here, Hebron is a very old city, even before that old city of Soan that everybody knows in Egypt. Now, what does this mean? Literally means it was actually built. It was established established before Soan. But if we take it literally, Ham had four kids, and um, we have we see that Mitzrayim, his second uh, child, is older than Kenaan. Now Hebron is an Eres Kenaan. So it doesn't make sense that he would build a city that Ham would build a city for his youngest son, Canaan, that's Hebron, before he built a city for his older son, Mitzrayim, where Soan is. So therefore, we cannot take it literally that Hebron was built first. Rather, we're taking the word as not mevune, not as built, but rather more fruitful than seven times more fruitful than Soan. Now, just to uh, uh, explain how fruitful and how wonderful Eretz Yisrael is compared to Mitzrayim. There's no more stony land in Eretz Yisrael than Hebron. In other words, Hebron is the worst land in the land of Israel, right? It's the most stony. You can't grow nice crops in Hebron. So Hebron is the worst of Eretz Yisrael. Um, and that's the reason why you can tell because they used it as burial ground. You're not going to use the best agricultural land for burial ground. You'll use the worst agricultural land um, as, as your cemetery. Now, regarding Egypt, the best of the land of Egypt is Soan. How do you know? Um, uh, first of all, Egypt is the best of all the lands. Um, uh, as a pasuk, when it's referring to Sedom, says Sedom is like, you know what it's like? It's like, uh, it's like Hashem's garden, like Gan Eden. And it's like Egypt, like Egypt. So Egypt is the best of all the lands of the world, except for Israel. And within Mitzrayim, the best part is Soan. Um, the ministers of uh, Paro lived in Soan, and surely they would live in the best land. And nevertheless, Hebron is seven times more fruitful than Soan. In other words, the best 
province of the best country, Soan of Mitzrayim, which is the best, best of the best, is itself seven times less fruitful than the most stony land in Israel, which is, which is Hebron. So imagine how much better is the best land in Israel than that. And now we ask, wait a second, is Hebron all stony? Uh, so wait, how could you say that Hebron is all full of stones? It says in Shemuel Bet that after 40 years of Shalom said to the king, I want to go and I, I made a vow, I'm going to give a sacrifice and he went to Hebron. And uh, why did he go to Hebron? Uh, well, he went to get the, he wanted to get the best sheep. So the rams um, that he got from Moab, they have the best. And the Kevasim, Hebron has the best Kevasim. If it has the best sheep, that means it has the best land that are eating from there. So that means that Hebron must be the best of the land of Israel, right? No, Mina actually can prove from this very Pasuk the opposite. It's precisely because this land is is thin and not so good, so it can't, the land in Hebron cannot be used for growing grain and other fruits and vegetables because it has very it's a, it's a very thin soil on top of rocks since it wasn't used for any other agriculture it, instead it was it grew grass and that's why it was perfect for livestock that are perfectly happy with uh, grass that only needs a thin layer of soil of soil so it's precisely because it was not used for anything else because it was the stoniest that's why it was perfect for grazing land and that's why Avshalom went to Hebron to uh, get the best livestock from there and that proves that Hebron which is the worst of uh, of the land within the land is the most stony of the land of Israel is itself seven times greater than the best of Eres Mitzrayim Baruch Adonai Amen